Hi, everybody. I'm Dr. Jessica Hockman, pediatrician and mom of three. On this podcast, I like to talk about various pediatric health topics, sharing my knowledge not only as a doctor, but also as a parent. Ultimately, my hope is that when it comes to your children's health, you feel more confident, worry less, and enjoy your parenting experience as much as possible. Welcome to part two of my interview with Dr. David Epstein. Dr. David Epstein is a practicing board-certified pediatrician, a pediatric critical care physician, and a podcast host. On today's episode, we are going to talk all about bites, from insect bites, bee stings, to animal and human bites. We're going to talk about it all. Dr. Epstein explains how to avoid bites, how to think about treating bites, and when to see a doctor. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. And if you'd like to learn more from Dr. Epstein, definitely check out his website, davidepsteinmd.com. Now, Dr. Epstein, I'd love to talk to you about different um, insect bites and animal bites and human bites. I want to give families an overview on how to think about the various scenarios that come up commonly with kids. So first, I want to ask you about bee stings. We're just coming off of summer, and I've seen a number of kids get bee stings. How should parents think about a bee sting? What's the first thing that they should do? Well, I, th- I think it's, you know, cleaning the wound, uh, you know, getting the stinger out, I think is, uh, is a reasonable thing to do. Um, and then just cleaning it like any other wound. Oftentimes with insect and bee stings, there's a local inflammatory reaction from either the venom or just, you know, mosquitoes. They, they tend to, you know, whatever's going on with them, the tender, the, body tends to react in some kids, but I kind of put them all into kind of like, you know, like kind of a one grouping is that there's a local inflammatory reaction, meaning that there's, there's swelling, uh, there's redness, there could be some tenderness. So basically that's the body's generic response to any invading, uh, bacteria or venom or, you know, agent that's, that's foreign. That's what's, that's, what's going to happen. So if your child doesn't have like a a serious allergy to like bee stings or any other insects, usually what happens to varying degrees, they'll get a local inflammatory reaction, which is, you know, the the redness and swelling could be some a little bit tender, could be a little bit warm. And I usually tell families in that initial period, you know, first 24 hours, I say most likely it's not an infection. It's, it's a local inflammatory reaction from the event itself, the venom or the, or the sting and, uh, to treat it with anti-inflammatory agents. Usually my first line is hydrocortisone, 1% cream, uh, getting it over the counter, do that twice a day, a cool pack, um, Motrin, and an antihistamine. Uh, now, again, as as dogma would have it, uh, you know, everybody used Benadryl for a long time, and so we're trying to shift away from Benadryl now to something like more like like Zyrtec, uh, which uh, is an antihistamine that lasts twenty four hours that doesn't cause drowsiness, and there are other other ones over the counter too, like Claritin and things like that. You know, it's something an antihistamine to reduce some of that. Uh, reaction, the body's reaction. So those are the four things which I, I kind of go off first. And over the first 24 hours, I say, do that, you know, diligently, watch mm-hmm. it closely. And if after about, you know, 24, 48 hours, despite that, if it starts getting worse and the swelling gets worse, 
the redness gets worse, the pain, or you see pus draining or it's you know really warm, then sometimes you can get a secondary bacterial infection, meaning the bacteria are invading the wound and causing a skin infection, at which point then we'll do oral antibiotics. If the reaction is pretty significant initially, early on, and you come into the urgent care or, or the or the office and like the hand is swollen and tight from a bee sting, then sometimes we'll give uh, steroids, like you know, oral steroids, to try to reduce that that inflammatory reaction. But that's that's kind of how I compartmentalize it. When I think of stings and and bites, your parents want to know if it's a spider bite or if it's an insect bite or if it's a mosquito bite. Usually with mosquitoes, I can kind of tell because you know they they call them ankle biters. Basically, the the lower legs, anything that's exposed, you know, like lower legs arms, face, that's where they're going to get, you know, the bites. And usually they're like multiple, you know, I can't differentiate between, you know, like a, a benign spider bite or other insect and mosquito. Sometimes it's just, it's too, it's too generic. Yeah. If it's a brown recluse or a black widow, yeah, that's a little different story. But for the most part, it doesn't matter what the bite is in as much as how you treat it that first, you know, 24, 48 hours. So to, to your point, whenever you see a bite, you're going to treat it the same way. So yeah. what kind of bite exactly it is, if it's a yellow jacket or a wasp or a mosquito, as long as the sting is removed, you're going to treat it with hydrocortisone twice a day, an anti-inflammatory like ibuprofen, a cool compress, and then an antihistamine. Now, question about the antihistamine. Does it matter if it's topical, like a cream on the skin, or does it have to be taken by mouth? Um, I usually do oral because that's it gives it's a little bit better penetration and usually the topical ones I don't see as much improvement with it I yeah. you know it's it's like it's like when yeah I don't know there was a fad I don't know if it's, you know giving oral albuterol you know for asthma you know we just don't do it it's just not going to the place where we need it to go you know so you know we don't do oral al albuterol or albuterol syrup we do inhaled albuterol so it's yes. kind of similar mechanism i think you know you want it to get into your system and fight the inflammatory response and topical is just not going to do it for yes i find the topical benadryl really just doesn't do much at all yeah yeah of yeah. course the side effect unfortunately your kids can be tired maybe that's maybe that's a plus for some parents but... exactly exactly but you got to be careful actually it's funny my my mom tells a story when when uh, I was little and they were taking she was taking me on a plane for the first time and she wanted me to rest and be calm. She gave me some Benadryl. But instead of having that reaction, the sleepiness, I had the paradoxical reaction, which made me flip out of my mind and, and was agitated running up and down the aisle. And, and oh, no. Yeah. So you part of that five percent. I guess I was. Reaction. Yeah, <laughs> I guess I was. No, that's a good. That's a good uh, point for parents to hear. Don't try uh, Benadryl for the first time on an airplane. Where yes, you, where your kid right. is contained. Yes. Yeah. Um, okay. So, and then I want to talk about the question of antibiotics or not. So, what I've learned is that the bee sting in general is so small, it creates such a small nidus or hole in the skin that it really rarely causes uh, a true secondary infection. And that there's a good subset of kids, like 5%, 10% that have these big reactions 24, 48 hours later where the skin really swells. And it's not actually an allergy. It's what we call a large localized reaction. So when you see kids that have larger 
like larger sites of swelling, do you still treat them with antibiotics? Uh, How do you distinguish between who needs an antibiotic and who doesn't? Yeah, that's a good question. It, and, and it's really, it's really difficult in certain situations because, you know, it's like you, if it's, if it's an early on, it's like a no brainer. I'm like, it's, it's not an infection. It's, it's a reaction. But as time goes on, you become less uh, confident <laughs> in that, you know, you know, 48 hours, 72 hours, you know, you're like, okay, it's red still. It's a, so sometimes the longer it goes on, the more concerned I get the, the, the telltale signs that it is a real infection is I look for streaking, uh, which, you know, I'll usually see, like if it's on the hand, you'll see streaking up the arm and, uh, like a little red streak. And then if you feel under the, into the armpit, you'll feel like a, a lymph node and it will be a little bit tender. Um, and so in those instances, it doesn't matter what the timing is. If, if I see that they're going on antibiotics, um, you know, same thing with the, with the leg, if there's, you know, foot and you see streaking up the leg, it's basically the, the lymphatics are, are draining whatever is going on in that area. And oftentimes, you know, the infection causes the bacteria causes that inflammation and that redness. So it's streaking up. I haven't seen venom or anything else kind of have that same kind of reaction. It's more localized. So once it starts spreading up the lymphatics and you get that streaking, that's usually more of an indication that it's a bacterial infection. So. And just so parents can picture this, you're saying typically the large local reaction is a circle. Um, like it's a nice discrete circle. And if it starts making lines or streaks that come from that circle, that makes you suspicious of a secondary infection that would require antibiotics. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's like, it's more like, uh, yeah, you'll see like a patch or you'll see some swelling, like if the hands swollen and everything, and it could be, you know, big red and swollen. And to your, to your point, yes, you know, the, the, the envenomation from a bee can last, you know, for a couple of days and sometimes it can be a little longer. So it's always good to just check in with your pediatrician to evaluate, reevaluate it. Cause it's like one of those things just to reevaluate and that, and just a side note with anything that we see in the urgent care or, or in the office, the best care that you're going to get is from follow-up. So if you have any questions or you need any, you know, advice, the follow-up is key, you know, seeing a child who's in respiratory distress coming in for, you know, wheezing from asthma, breathing, you treat them, they look better follow up with your pediatrician tomorrow because you need to reassess to make sure things are going in the right direction. Same too with wounds, skin infections, uh, stings that are pretty large that aren't, you know, that you're concerned about. The follow up is, is key. No, I, I thank you for that point because I agree that um, there's a lot of education that we provide at the follow up visits. We tell parents, what if it happens again, what to look for, you know, when it's a calmer moment, when things aren't so urgent, I think it's, there's a lot of value in those follow-up visits. Oh, definitely. Definitely. And, and it, you know, I think it gives, it will give the parent peace of mind too, because it'd be like, if things were better and then all of a sudden they get worse, they'd be like, okay, well, what, you know, maybe I should have followed up and, you know, and you, you kind of get in that conundrum where you're like, you you're not sure what to do. And so the best thing you can do is just, just to make a phone call, even a phone call, to your pediatrician's office or just, you know, visiting, uh, you know, it's helpful. It, it's helpful. Yeah. Now I'm curious from your standpoint, have you seen a lot of visits for mosquito bites this season? Because I know I get a lot of visits from really um, scratched or excoriated mosquito bites. Um, 
Is that something that you see? And what, what do you advise to parents uh, to tell their kids about mosquito bites? Should they not touch them? Should they treat them the same way? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Summers are always rough. I mean, I, this year hasn't seemed as bad. I think a couple years ago, like, I don't remember. It was like, there was bananas. It was like, it was like everybody, but I've seen a good, you know, a good share of mosquito bites. And, um, uh, I think the times that you got to be careful are, you know, dusk, that's kind of when they start to come out. Um, so playing, if you're playing outside, I know it's hard to get summer and it's, it's warm, you know, obviously long pants, long shirt, but and otherwise, you know, you can put some, uh, you know, repellent mosquito repellent on or things like that, but just know that dusk is kind of when they start to come out. Also mosquito, I see mosquitoes where, you know, they're in the house and they get in the house from the outside. And so they have free reign all day, all night and they're snacking. So, uh, <laughs> so that's, um, you know, that happens. Um, obviously, like you said that, you know, they, the mosquito bites are itchy. And kids want to scratch them. And it's hard not to want to scratch them. It's hard telling a toddler, don't scratch, you know, because they're going to, they're, they're just going to do it. So the best thing you can do is just hop on treatment right away. As soon as you see a little dot there and it looks like there's a little inflammation and you see them kind of reaching for it, scratching, start putting the, the 1% hydrocortisone cream on, doing the things, you know, cool pack, an antihistamine, uh, you know, a little ibuprofen just to kind of stop that because as soon as it starts to get to that point where it's really itchy, they're going to keep scratching and they're going to be like, it's going to, then it's going to get infected. Then you, then, you know, the wound opens up and, you know, cause of the scratch marks and then, then they can get a secondary infection from that. So. I also find with mosquito bites, once they're bit, it's really hard to control the itch, even with all yeah. the measures that we can offer. Yeah. So a lot of parents, they try, um, they're, they're nervous to use traditional insect repellents like DEET. And I find that the natural stuff doesn't really work. Yeah. And so I would rather just make sure my kids don't get bit, make sure I don't get bit. So I don't know how you feel, but I definitely recommend DEET to my patients. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I, I think that's, I think that's reasonable. I, uh, the, the other thing that actually can, can help with itching and maybe reduce infection a little bit is sometimes I'll recommend like Epsom salt baths. You know, like a, like a little quarter cup of Epsom salt in a warm bath up to their waist. Just let them sit in it. You know, if it's on their lower extremities, which it usually is on their lower legs, you know, let them soak in there for like 10 minutes or something like that. And then, and then dry them off and then maybe put a little hydrocortisone on after, you know, after the bath. And that may help. But again, you're right. Once they get bit, it's, it's hard to control the itching. So now what about bites? So I just want to talk about, um, animal bites because, a lot of kids come in with dog bites. So I'd like to start off with dog bites. How should parents think about dog bites in general? Do they always need to see a doctor? Are they always going to need to be on an antibiotic? What's the deal with dog bites? That, that's a good, that's a good question. Um, you know, minor bites, like if it just kind of breaks the skin a little bit, you know, we're like, you know, we clean it out really well. Maybe in those kids, in those situations, I'll put antibiotic ointment on because any bites are really considered dirty. Um, if it's a significant, uh, to where it's an open wound, like it's gaping or it's, you know, it's, it seems like it's pretty deep. I think I, I will put them on antibiotics. If it's a laceration that we're preparing from a dog bite, I will put them on antibiotics. Um, it's interesting uh, 
the wounds, you know, and, and actually there's a plastic surgeon in the area, uh, Dr. Andrew Cohen. He's really yes, great. Yes, I actually, a shout out to your podcast and your episode with him. It was a great episode. Everybody should listen and, and learn more from from your podcast, Dr. Epstein's Pearls. Is yeah. that what it, tell me that, remind me the title. Uh, uh, let's see, I forgot. <laughs> Dr. Doctor, <laughs> no, Doctor Dave's Pediatric Pearls. I will link the great episode where you talked more about this in the show notes below with you and Dr. Cohen. Perfect. perfect. Dr. Yeah. Epstein's Pearls. Yeah, he's he's a great he's a great resource, and and he's we've worked together many times on dog bites, and the and the thing with dog bites, um, you know, I I don't I mean I worry about the infectious part, but most of the time the dog bites seem to be on kids' faces because they're bringing their faces you know close to the dog, and and they get scared, and they nip, and thing. It's not that the dog try to do something, you know, bad, you know, to try to chew on your, your, your child or somebody else's child. It's just that, you know, they were the wrong place at the wrong time. And, you know, it just happened. But, uh, so dog bites on the face, I will usually relegate to a, a plastic surgeon just for cosmetic purposes. Um, and he's really good at doing that. Um, even though it's a dog bite, you still close the wound cause you want, you want it to heal. Um, and then you treat with antibiotics, uh, subsequently with that, but, uh, wounds on the face usually heal pretty well. Uh, it's a well vascularized area. And so they, the healing is good. Uh, sometimes depending on the extent of the bite, I mean, there, there can be scarring and that's why putting, putting the care in a plastic surgeon in those situations is I think pretty reasonable. So. Now, what about cat bites. You talked about how with dog bites, you close the wound with sutures if it's lacerated. What about cat bites? Are um, they different? Are they treated differently? Yeah, you know, I, I think cat bites usually, uh, you know, we don't see them as commonly as dog bites. Uh, usually cat bites are more like puncture wounds. Um, and, you know, they still have the risk because it's a, it's a puncture and it's usually a, a, like a deep puncture and you can't really, I would put them on antibiotics, you know, for those. Uh, human bites, you know, those are, those are the worst. <laughs> yes, I'm sure. And you know where it comes up the most is with toddlers. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But uh, yeah, so those those are definitely, you know, treated with antibiotics. Um, so, you know, it's it's a spectrum. But I mean, the main thing, if there is a bite, uh, you want to you clean the wound out very well. And you, you want to seek medical advice because it's, it's sometimes hard to differentiate because yeah, you, you may have gotten a bite, but it may be superficial enough where it maybe doesn't need anything, or it may be a puncture wound that is deep that you want to make sure it doesn't get infected. So, you know, I always recommend that if there is a bite and you're concerned and it breaks the skin, you know, have, have your child seen because chances are if it's a, if it's a cat bite and it's, you know, it's a, a deep puncture wound, probably do antibiotics. If there's a dog bite and it breaks the skin and there's a wound and it's significant, you know, definitely do antibiotics, even if you're not going to suture it, you know. Kind of thing. So just to summarize, it sounds like with any bite, if it's a, if it's a minor scrape, doesn't seem to break the skin surface, clean it and observe it. Yeah. And if there's any question, it breaks the skin or there's question about the depth or the cosmetic appearance, definitely see your doctor. Absolutely. Yeah. And expect to be put on an antibiotic. There's a good chance you'll be put on an antibiotic like Augmentin. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Now, what about preventing dog bites? I just want to mention this because I do think there are things that parents should be aware of to prevent dog bites for their kids. Yeah, I think... You know, it, it, it's hard because every family has their their own culture with regards to their dog. 
Um, and there are different breeds of dogs that are more aggressive than others. Um, I'm not, I'm not a specialist in, in dogs, uh, but, <laughs> but I, I, yeah, but I do know, you know, like that, that dogs can be scared. Like, you know, if somebody comes up behind them, um, like a toddler and it touches them, sometimes they can turn around and, you know, they're, they may be unpredictable to a certain extent, maybe larger dogs, uh, Obviously, they have a you know, stronger jaw, bigger, you know, bigger teeth. They can take a bigger chunk, but smaller dogs can also cause cause injuries. I, I uh, actually a story with Dr. Cohen. He he did bring somebody in who had like a like a beagle, and the beagle you know nipped the lip and it actually cut through the lip, and so he had to suture the lip. So it may not be necessarily a big bite but it could be a bite in a bad place like you know on the lip or you know something on the face which could cause some cosmetic issues one thing i tell parents is to remind their kids not to bother a dog while they're eating because i find if a a hungry dog may may reach back and, and and nip or bite yeah and a lot of kids will see a dog on the streets and they'll pet the dog and i think it's a really important reminder for parents to tell their kids to ask first before they touch a dog to make sure the dog is friendly. Absolutely. Because sometimes you'll ask parents that are holding dogs and they'll say, no, don't touch my dog. This is not a friendly dog. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I think that's, that's really good advice. I mean, in, but I always caution parents that even if it's their own dog, because like a lot of times we'll see where it's their actually the patient's own dog that did the biting. And it was more like, like you said, they surprised them, they were eating, or they tried to pull a toy away from them, or the dog got scared, or they're just getting their face too close, you know, they're giving kisses and whatnot, and and getting their face too close. And, uh, you know, we have dogs, and I'm like, I'm always telling my kids, I say, don't put your face close to the mouth, you don't know what's going to happen. I have to tell you, I have a new puppy, Uh who's three months old. And I get very nervous, because my kids do get very close to her face, and she's very nippy. Um, and I say, as soon as I hear her growl, I really tell them to step back and just leave her alone because I, I've seen one too many dog bites. Yeah. Yeah. And it, and it doesn't have to be a big bite. It just had, like, like I said before, it just has to be a bite in the right place, which can cause a lot of trauma, you know, like, like a lip, you know, you just get a little nip on the bit and then, and it cuts through the lip and then you're, you know, you're going for sutures and the sutures, it's not easy to suture or close a lip wound, you know? Um, Yeah. So prevention is key. Yeah, for sure. Um, and then just to, there's a myth going around that I just, I'm curious if you know the answer. Is it true that a dog's mouth is cleaner than a human mouth? Because I've heard people say that dog bites are actually cleaner than a human bite would be. Is there yeah. any truth to that? Yeah, I, you know, I don't know. I don't know the answer, but I know human bites are pretty dirty. So, <laughs> all right. So, the myth was, uh, right. my husband said that to me this week, and I said, I'm not really sure if this is true. Yeah. I'm going to ask Dr. Epstein. Yeah, yeah. I just, I just think any bite, I mean, you know, our, our mouths, you know, our whole GI tract, we're filled with bacteria. I mean, that's, you know, that's, yes. that's what it is. So, any, any bite is, is a risk for infection. Yes. I, I said this too, especially after watching our dog lick, lick parts of their body they shouldn't be licking. So yeah, it makes yeah, exactly. <laughs> can't be that clean. No, it can't it definitely can't, you know, as they're, they're smelling the poop on, you know, for trying to figure out who that is. You're like, yeah, you really want to touch that in your, 
<laughs> this has been so helpful. Thank you so much. If parents want to see you, is there a place that they can learn more from you or see you? Sure, sure. I, I have a website that has a lot of you know collated information. It's uh, basically davidepsteinmd.com. Um, and then any of my handles on social media are David Epstein MD. So on Instagram, on uh, X, Threads, uh, <laughs> LinkedIn, Facebook, you know, all that stuff. So amazing! And I hope you get back to your podcast soon. The episodes you put out were really, really wonderful. Oh, thank you, thank you. Yeah, I will, I will. I just uh, need a little bit of a respite, and I'll, I'll get to it. So, but you're you you have a great. Uh, a, a great uh, a podcast yourself and I wish you all the best with everything. And it sounds like you're doing a great job. Thank you, Dr. Epstein. Thank you so much. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you for listening. And I hope you enjoyed this week's episode of ask Dr. Jessica. Also, if you could take a moment and leave a five-star review, wherever it is, you listen to podcasts, I would greatly appreciate it. It really makes a difference to help this podcast grow. You can also follow me on Instagram at ask Dr. Jessica.